right? Let's pray. Father, uh, tonight we do, uh, we just thank you, God. I just think of lifting up our hearts and our voices to you and how good that is, God. And, and uh, thank you for gifted people who write songs. Thank you for musicians and singers who can lead us that way. And, and uh, Lord, what a blessing it is to come together as the body of Jesus Christ, even as we're gonna learn tonight, and, and corporately come and lift up our voices together. And Lord, I thank you, and I'm sure for you that's a sweet-smelling aroma as your people just lift our hearts to you. And so, Lord, we wanna continue with that as we get into your word and the challenges here that Paul had for that church and what they were going through, I, I pray for us that, God, we would heed to your challenge. We would listen to what you say, and, and we would heed that. So, Lord, open up our, our hearts, open up our minds, open up our ears that we can hear, and bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, in the beginning of chapter 4, he's been talking about walking in unity. And even when we talked about that last week, I, I, I tried to stress unity doesn't mean that you're uniform or uniformity, you know, that everybody's the same. You can look around and see that, right? We're not all the same, and praise God, you know, that we're not. So he's not talking about that, and that's important because you can have within unity, you can have diversity, and that's what he's going to talk about tonight. And I personally love this section of Ephesians because I think it's a great challenge. And we, as we were singing that last song, I was thinking of how many of us sang those words, and I'm going to kind of bust you, but you really didn't mean it. You sing them, but you really don't want to know what God wants you to do because if you do, then you're responsible, then you have to do something. And so, yeah, you're singing those words kind of because they're good words and, and you're doing it, but you're going, oh, please don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. So tonight, again, we're going to kind of carry that theme and talk about it because it's important. I don't want us to pretend church. I don't want us to just come together as a social club that we meet a couple times a week and we come together and we read our doctrine and we read these things and then we go on about business. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're his body. We're supposed to be functioning that way. And uh, listen, Paul, I, I, I gotta believe the church in Ephesus wasn't quite doing it because he's, he's like, in this section, he's like, come on, guys. Here's where we need to be. Here's what we need to do. So I pray that we can hear him personally. I pray personally we can hear him, and I pray corporately we can hear him and we can move forward. I have said it before, I think we live in an amazing time. And you know, it's, is it a fun time? Absolutely not. You know, I think most of us are ready for 2021. You know, it's like, let's get through this year and let's just pretend it never happened and let's move on, right? But... It's also, listen, man, as believers, we need to step up to the challenge that we have during this time. And I, I gotta say, a lot of the church, I think, is like falling asleep right now. And we have a tremendous opportunity. When I read of churches that are baptizing a 1,000 people, that's insane. And God is moving, and some of us, like, we're, 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 some of us are even thinking, hope he doesn't move that way in our church. I hope he does. 
You know, that we can see some amazing things going on. So Paul writing to these guys, he's just told them that, you know, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and, and through all who's in you all. But, verse 9, but, and that but there might not just be a contrast. It might be more like, you might even put in there, in spite of. So he might be kind of doing that. And here's what he's saying. All of that is true, but... To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's what he's letting us know. He's not talking about the grace to be saved. He's talking about the grace to serve. Jesus Christ saved us, put us in his body, and we're still here because we're supposed to function as part of the body. And each one of us, listen, each one of us, he says he's given us grace and he's given us different amounts. We're all going to serve differently. I don't want everybody to think we all have to be the same. That would be a drag, as I've already said. But even within giftedness, even within the different gifts listed, and we'll talk about them in a moment, you're going to operate different. Why? Because we're different. We're not all the same, right? Look around again. You all don't look the same. You don't dress the same. You don't, you know, we're not part of one of the cults where you have to wear the same clothes and everybody has to look the same. We're different. And his emphasis here, though, is listen, church. We do have one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, one Lord. But he has taken us as a bunch of, maybe even I could say misfits, and stuck us together and made us his body. And by his grace, he has gifted us so Paul's point to them is, let's move forward. Let's don't get stuck in something. You know, there is a ton of stuff still out there about church growth. It always cracks me up. How people are wanting to try and figure out church growth or even how do we do church? And then, and then there's certain churches where they begin to make committees, right? That always works wonderfully. Putting committees, here's what, here's what you need to do to do church. Yield yourself to him. I love that one line where the one who died for me, giving him whatever is no sacrifice. That's my own interpretation of that. When I serve the Lord, it's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. So he's letting them know, do this. And then, and then I love the way he gets into this next part. And then we'll, we'll talk about gifts a little more. It says, therefore, he says, when he, ascend, or when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all in the in far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So there's a little bit of a something going on there. And it's interesting, Paul quotes Psalm 68, and it's interesting as he does that because here's what cracks me up. He quotes misquotes it now if you're the holy spirit you wrote psalm 68 and that same holy spirit wrote ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 
And if you're the author, you don't misquote yourself, right? You can change what you wrote because you're the author, and it's okay. Now, I believe, though, I don't believe Paul misquoted it. I don't believe he made a mistake. I don't even believe, some people say, and it's funny, there are pages and pages on what's going on just in this one verse, and I'm thinking, you're missing what's being said. But I don't think he misquoted it. I don't think he, he quoted the Targum or any of those things. I believe what Paul is looking at, the entire context, and for homework, read the psalm, right, and look at it. But I think he's quoting the entire context, which is the entire context is pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus ascended, he did give gifts to men. Now, I know the original that David wrote talks about the king who ascended, uh, was given gifts, which usually when, hey, when you conquered a people or went to war and you did that in that culture, that generation, and you would ascend to your throne, people would lavish gifts on you. I get that, but Jesus' point is he gave gifts to men. And now we're back to verse seven, gifts. God has given us gifts and I know some people get uptight. We're gonna talk about it a little bit and some people get uptight when you talk about the Lord gifting people because some people are used to kind of maybe more of a Pentecostal idea of that or maybe a charismatic or a charismaniac idea of that that kind of gets off kilter. And so we tend to push away from that. And that's sad because God has given us gifts. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives as much today as he was working in Paul's life. It's not like the Holy Spirit went, well, you know, I know it's 2020, and I know this stuff is going on, so I'm gonna back off a little bit. That would be a drag, wouldn't it? I mean, when you think of it that way, when you put it that way, it's like, no. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit now more than ever. I think, I personally believe we need the Holy Spirit now more than they needed him in the first century. That's my, my opinion, because, and I believe he needs to be working. So as we say that, listen, there are at least, there's at least four places where the gifts are mentioned. Uh, here in what we're reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and 1 Peter 4. Now I love, you know how, you know how we have 613 laws in the Old Testament, and then we have 10 and then they're really boiled down to two, right, that Jesus gave, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. He kind of takes all of that and boils it down. Well, that's sort of what Peter does when, you know, because some people don't like listing 1 Peter chapter four as a lift, list of the gifts, but here's what, here's, here's Pat's quote of that, my interpretation of that. Here's what Peter says. You've been given gifts, and some of those gifts are for serving, and some are for speaking. I love the way he narrows down all of the gifts just to two categories, right? And, and you're in one of those two categories. All of us are in one of those two categories that we need to understand and we need to do that. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a long list of gifts, and Romans 12 has a long list of gifts that is given and we can look at. And uh, if you've been with us, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm not gonna do a whole bunch, maybe a little too much, but not a whole bunch on those. I believe the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are what can be labeled as manifestational gifts. And the reason I label that is he says, the Spirit will manifest himself in, and then he gives us the gifts. 
and he lists them. And, and so, you know, and, and, but some people do this. They go, oh, no, those gifts disappeared, and, and they, they're called cessationalists. And that's okay. If you want to be that, that's okay. If you want to go down that road, I don't really care. I think you're missing out, and I think you're blowing it. But, hey, if you want to do that, that's your business but I believe, listen, I believe the Holy Spirit still manifests himself in our lives, whether it's through working in miracles, whether it's through healing, whether it's through speaking in tongues, whether it's through interpretation of tongues, whether, I believe he still does that because he's the same Holy Spirit. And I believe he does it the same as he did it in the first century, as he did it, you know, hey, people read stuff. You read the book of Acts. Do you know the book of Acts covers about 30 years and when we read that, we can sit down and read it pretty quick, right? And we're thinking there's miracle here, miracle there, things popping up here, things. No, they were just as spread out as they are now. So I believe, listen, I believe it's okay to, to desire for him, the Holy Spirit, to work in your life that way. Now, the reason I call him manifestational is I believe he manifests himself in our lives according to needs that are coming up and situations. I don't believe a person possesses the gift of healing. If they did, there's a lot of hospitals that could use them. Empty out the hospitals. But I believe at times, the Lord will use us to pray for somebody and manifest himself and they will be healed. Uh, you know, I believe God has done that in my life, not in, a, not in maybe a huge miraculous way, but I believe he's used me that way occasionally, a couple times that I've seen throughout my life. But listen, it, I don't go around then saying, well, I have the gift of healing, see me, and, you know, send in the cloth. So... I think, you know, I think that's so dangerous when people do that. But I believe he does that, and it's up to him. One of my favorite stories is Pastor Chuck Smith. Some, a lady brought her, I think it was her father, up one time for prayer, and he's in a wheelchair. And Pastor Chuck prayed for this individual to get up out of the wheelchair to walk. God just impressed it on his heart. Now, that's a, that's a huge one. You know, have you ever been someplace and seen somebody in a wheelchair and kind of debated it in your life? Should I pray or not? Should I grab them and jerk them out of that chair or not? You know, it's like, it's like kind of get kind of weird, you know? And, and I always go for not, personally, because I don't, wanna, I don't wanna embarrass God or me. But Pastor Chuck prayed for this individual to get up, and they got up and they walked, and God healed them. And the, the daughter, whoever it was, just started bawling. And Chuck says, what's the matter? She goes, I just wanted you to pray for his cold. <laughs> uh, isn't that great? So listen, so I think God works that way. And, and, you know, and, and I do believe we do miss opportunities when we don't trust him. And you know, I would be one that I think sometimes God is nudging me and I don't, I don't have that faith to do that. He's like going, and I'm going, mm -mm, man, I'm not doing that. So... But anyway, those are the gifts. So 1 Corinthians, you can read those and, and, and look at those and kind of dwell on those. And then in Romans chapter 12 is a list of gifts. And again, I don't think there's a complete list even in all of Scripture of the gifts. I think there's a, there's a kind of a generalization. 
And so in Romans chapter 12, there's another list that I call motivational gifts. And those are the ones that I think that's how we're built. That's how we do things. That's what motivates us. And, and you know, you, again, you can go online. You can listen to our teachings and, and kind of do that. And in, in Romans 1, I do a whole teaching of a person with the tray coming in. They dump the tray. And then the reaction of people with different gifts. Because, you know, the one with the gift of helps, what are they going to do if the tray goes on the floor? Let me clean that up. Let me take care of that for you. The one with mercy, oh, you poor soul. Oh, I feel so bad for you. The one with the, with the, you know, the gift of prophecy. Dude, if you would have just done this, right? And, and, and the teacher would have said, let me show you how to put that together so that don't happen. You know, so anyway, you can kind of go through that whole thing. And, and you can kind of see. And, and then you, when you look at that, you look at yourself and you, you think, that's exactly how I would have expressed that. You know, you kind of think and see that. Now, here's the thing that I see is sometimes when we're motivated by certain things because it's the way God has put us together, we tend to judge those who are not reacting the way we react. Like I've noticed people with the gift of mercy are kind of the worst. Sorry if you have the gift of mercy. But you're like the worst because you know what? If people aren't showing mercy, you're all bent out of shape and you're all up to, well, you know, if you were a decent Christian, here's how you would react. And it's then now you're all in the flesh and you're, you know, judging me, so stop it. So, you know, anyway, that's kind of that. So, and, and it is interesting when you really look at that and begin to look at your life. Now, I'm not telling you, I want you to look at that and do a test to see oh, here's my gift with this one rising kind of type thing and, and stuff. But just, you know, it's an idea of, hey, here's how I react to situations, and that's how God put me together. And you guys have heard me share when God gave me, you know, definitely gave me a gift of teaching because I didn't study as a, as a student when I was supposed to and all of those things, and now I see in my life, you know, it's definitely him working. So you have that. So those are there. So you have... Peter, general, you know, to me, very general. Then you have 1 Corinthians are the, are the uh, uh, manifestation. We have Romans as the uh, 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 motivational. And I think this is what he's talking about here. He gave gifts to man and gifts to the church. Now, here he's going to talk about, we'll get to it in a minute. He's going to talk about, some say, the fivefold ministry. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But here's the thing. God gave gifts, and then he says this interesting thing, that when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. I think all of us would agree that's talking about when he went to heaven, right? We kind of, okay, I get that. But then he gets on this thing, and I'm thinking, why did you put that in there, Paul? Do you ever talk to your Bible? And you're going, and, and sometimes as a teacher, I'm going, now i got to explain that. If you would have just left that out, we'd all be fine and we'd all go, well, I, I, I totally understand what he's talking about when he ascended and I totally get that. And then Paul has to like, oh, oh, well, what does it mean he ascended except first he descended to the lower earthly regions and he gets into that, right? So we read it again and, and listen, he says, now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he uh, also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is also the, the one who ascended above, uh, far above all the heavens that he might be in, or he might fill all things. It's like, thank you, Paul. 
So what is exactly he talking about? And, and this is a big argument with the theologians. So the theologians, what does descended to the lower earthly regions mean? And if you were raised in a church that like did the Apostles' Creed, you used to recite, right, that he, you know, descended into hell. And that's a bad interpretation because when we hear the word hell, we think of, you know, we think of fire and brimstone and that. Now, here it doesn't, it doesn't use any kind of wording like that. Peter, on the other hand, talks about him descending into Sheol. And sometimes Sheol is, is uh, interpreted as hell in some of the, you know, I think especially in the, in the King James. So you have that, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think he's talking about the fact that when, you know, Jesus, I believe when Jesus died, he went to Sheol, the place of the dead. That's all it means. And I believe he led captivity captive. I believe he took those saints from the Old Testament and those who died before he rose. Remember, he had to go to heaven first. And then he took all of those that were in a place of death and took them with him. I believe that's the captivity he led. Even here, you could kind of say that. But here I think he's talking about more when he descended to the lower earthly regions. In other words, he had to come and die for our sins. He, the incarnation, we call it, right? He came from heaven. He came. He was here. He died for our sins. And I think, I think that's what he's talking about when he led captivity captive. That's all of us. He freed us, right, from our captivity of sin. And he led us, and we may not be there now, but earlier in this letter, didn't he say, we're seated in the heavenlies? Are we seated in the heavenlies? I am. I don't know about you guys. They're like all doubting. I don't know. I think that was a trick question. <laughs> no, he said we're seated in the heavenlies. I'm seated in the heavenlies. And some of you go, don't look like it. Well, that's because you have a vision problem. <laughs> so listen, I believe that's what he's talking about here. If you want to say that here he's also talking about when he you know, when he descended into Sheol. Again, I don't want to get the idea because some people have this idea. Like Jesus went to hell and had this big battle with Satan. A couple of things you need to understand. God and Satan are on two complete different levels. God is not locked in a battle with Satan. God and Satan are like me and an ant, right? I usually don't struggle with ants. I don't go up and go, man, I wonder if I can take him. I squish them. So you have to understand that. That is a reality. I, it bothers me when people say, God and Satan are locked in this battle. No, they're not. And you know what? Neither is Jesus, because Jesus is God. So he didn't go to hell to fight Satan over our souls. That's a, that's a bad, bad, bad theology. He went to the place of the dead to release those and take those who had believed Old Testament saints into heaven with him. So here, though, he's talking about releasing us. Then in verse, so in verse 10, he talks about his descended, and now he's above all things. And then verse 11 is kind of where I started to go to and, and took a break. But it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So we have the gifts listed here. But I don't think these are individual gifts. 
I believe what he's telling us in Ephesians is the gifts that he gave to the church or offices. And some people say, do you guys practice the five-fold ministry? And I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology and people saying that, but when they're saying that, here's what they're doing. They want to know, do you still believe that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers? And you know, and then you get into things like the, you know, the Kansas City prophets, you get into the Brownsville thing, you get into the, you know, and you get into some stuff that some of it becomes, and some of you are shaking your head, God bless you, that you haven't got into those things. But it gets crazy. It gets nuts out there. So when people ask me, do, we, do I believe in a five-fold ministry? I tell them, yes, but I don't believe what you believe. You see, I believe it because it's here, right? It's in Ephesians. And he gave some to be apostles. What does that mean? Well, I believe in the strictest sense and the way it's used all through the New Testament, the term apostle means those that Jesus specifically either set aside in the beginning or you come to Paul, those are the apostolic authority that even earlier in this book, he said, laid the foundation for the church. I don't believe there's the office in the church any longer of apostle. I believe that went away with those guys and they gave directions on how you pick one and what are the qualifications, what it took when they replaced uh, Judas. So I don't think that's what he's, I mean, I think that's what he's talking about, that office, but I don't think that office is for today. Who are the apostles that I would yield to today? They're in this thing I call the Bible. So they're in a sense, there is that office because they're right here. And I believe the same in, in this sense, the office of a prophet. And by that, here's what I mean. I believe in the gift of prophecy because that's in Corinthians and that's even in Romans. And that gift, listen, whenever we hear prophecy, often we think foretelling, Right? foretelling the future or foretelling what God is gonna do. That's part of it, but there's also the prophet who foretells, who tells the word of God, who gives the word of God. And I think that functions today, I, I think that, but I don't think it's an office, I think it's a gift a person gets. I think again, the office was to lay in, earlier on in Ephesians, go back and read chapter one and chapter two. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation of the church. So listen, there is that office, but it was a foundational office. That's what I believe. And again, the prophets, was, that was an office that they had. So what I'm trying to say here is he's giving us offices of the church, or this is his gift to the church. And then he talks about, in here he talks about, the next one is evangelist. Now, I believe, listen, I believe there's evangelists today. You kind of be dense to not think that. I like what some people say. Some people say the evangelists are the obstetricians of the church. They deliver all the babies, right? They bring them out and they do that. And I kind of, I kind of like to think about that. And if you've ever been around a true evangelist, I'm not talking about the evangelist that wears slick clothes and has 10 suits and comes in and has three messages and blows out of town. I'm talking about a real evangelist. If you're ever around one, man, those guys can say good morning to someone and they go, oh, can I accept Jesus right now? And you're going, you said good morning. 
There was a guy that I knew that you could go through, you could go through like a buffet line with him and you're getting your food and he's like praying with three people, you know, back there, holding hands with him, praying for him and, and you're going, what are you, how, how did you do that? Well, I asked him for, you know, whatever and we just started praying. And so some people have that. Ron Hint's wife, Yanni, she's Cuban and we've gone to Cuba with her a couple times. She is amazing. We go to Cuba and we're ready to go. Where's Yanni? Oh, she's in the back praying with the cooks. It's like, how does that happen? So that's that gift. Listen, and some, some of us, some of us, we really want that gift. And by the way, those who don't have it and try, you stink. <laughs> I just thought I'd let you know. Like you come across hokey and you do these things and people are going to, if you have the gift, here's what's happening. If you have the gift, dogs get saved, cats get saved, people all around you, it's just oozing out of you and you get saved. If you don't have the gift, you're like trying to tell people and they're going, would you leave me alone? So I believe, listen, I believe that office. Again, we've kind of ruined that in the modern church because the modern, some of the modern church thinks of the guy who blows into town and has, quote, revival meetings. I always love that, you know, and they're there and, you know, they have, these guys in their home, they have a file, has 25 messages in it. It's all they need because they're blown from church to church to church to church. So, sorry, but that's, anyway, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about real evangelists. I think Greg Glory would be one. Obviously, Billy Graham would be one. And you look at these guys and they do it. So, I've never traveled with Greg, so I don't know if he prays with people in buffet lines or not. But, so, you have that gift. And, but having said that, we all should be sharing our faith. We're not all gonna be evangelists, but we all need to be people who share our faith, share our testimony, and do that. I don't want us to think, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'll have to tell people about Jesus. Well, number one, you never have to tell anybody. You get to. God lets you do that. And what an, what an amazing opportunity. So you have that. Now the next one, I combine to, and some do and some don't, but I combine to because he says this. He says, and some pastors and teachers. Now the reason I combine it is because each one, he says, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. He doesn't say, and some to pastors and some teachers. So I think it's a combination. And so I guess I really don't believe in the fivefold ministry. I believe in the fourfold ministry, you know, technically speaking. But I believe, listen, and again, I believe that's God's gift to the church. And he gives a gift of pastors and teachers. And we could go on tonight for a long time about what does it mean to be, you know, the whole idea of the term here that he uses for pastors is not the same term that he uses for elders and, and you know, there's, there's a bunch of different terms. Although I think they're, I personally think they're all the same. I think they're interchangeable. But you can get into some long arguments and that's where some division comes in and denominations and et cetera. But here's what God is saying. I give some to do this. Now, I guess I have kind of, a strong belief about pastors and teachers. And I think as a pastor, you have a responsibility to be a teacher. I don't think all teachers are pastors, but all pastors are teachers. You have that responsibility and, and you need to do that. And I think that's important. 
I like the idea, you know, little, little kind of gamey things. It's, I heard it years ago, sermonettes produce Christianettes. So just kind of that kind of thinking. And so, listen, I believe you need to be somebody, and you're doing that. Now, here's what he says. He's given these, and I'm not going to go a long time into that one because I, I think you guys know I feel real strongly about it, and, and uh, I just don't want to talk about what I do that much. So, listen, he gives these. Now, here's what I think is important. I was going to go to verse 16, but you guys are way, way slow. So we're not going to make it. You're like listening way too slow. So as he says, as listen, he says, pastors and teachers, and again, that responsibility, the joy of doing that. But here's what he says. Again, go to the beginning of verse 11. I want to read the whole thing and get into 12. He says, for he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Wow, that's huge. That's huge what he's talking about. Listen, man, he lists, why does the church exist? We always like to say to evangelize the world. No, the church exists to be strong and be equipped to go out and to evangelize the world. See, we gather together like this. And we don't gather together like this necessarily for evangelism, but we're gonna do it every time. But we gather together like this, why? He says for the equipping. The equipping means being put together. It's even, that word is even used sometimes about a broken bone and mending it. But you're equipped, you're put together, and you're put together in such a way that you can go out and do the ministry and that the body of Christ can be the body of Christ and the world can see that. That's how it's supposed to function. Sadly, we have kind of adopted the whole idea that, you know what, the professionals do all of the work and those of us who sit in the, we don't have pews, but the chairs, we're just spectators. You've heard the idea about football, right? The whole idea about football, football is, you know, 25, 30,000 people desperately in need of exercise, watching, you know, 11 or 22 guys desperately needing rest doing the work, right? And it's kind of like that, and that's kind of what we do in the church. This is not a spectator sport. This is not something, listen, you don't come to listen to me just to listen to me, I hope. You come to be equipped, you come so you can get it together so you can go do the work of the ministry. Just like, hey, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And again, I think of that song. Man, we sang that song. You guys were singing pretty loud, by the way. And you're singing those words, and those words are all about, man, I'm available. Are you? Are you really? Well, I am, but you know what? It's after 5 o'clock, Lord. I'm not available till five because I have some other stuff going on and I'm not, no, either you are or you aren't. And we're coming together to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And when I think about that, listen, when I think about that, once again, I go back to Acts chapter seven. Eight, nine, well, between five and 10 where they come to the apostles and they go, hey, we got a problem. 
the Hebrew people are getting food and the Hellenist Jews are not. And we want you guys to fix this. You guys know that problem, right? And we got this problem, we want you to fix it. Do you remember what the apostle said? Our ministry is we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the word of God. We have equipped you by giving you the word of God after we pray, right, to do the work of the ministry. That's vitally important. And we need to be doing that. And that's what he's teaching here in Ephesians. So here's what I'm thinking in Ephesians. There was some people, and they were kind of getting into the spectator thing like we have in the 21st century here in America. And he says, listen, number one, he says, man, he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We cannot be edified, built up, be what we're supposed to be, shine brightly in this world unless... We're taking in what we're given, but we're also giving it back out and we're doing the work. And when we do that, man, the world is gonna see a huge difference. And the problem with most of, of fellowships and stuff going on is that what the world sees is a club. A club that gathers on Thursday, a club that gathers on Saturday, a club that gathers on Thursday. And you're no different than any other club. You all come in, you have your little ritual thing you do, whatever it happens to be. We sing. Five songs, sit down, listen to a guy speak, sing one more song, and go home. Is it affecting our lives? Are we being equipped? Do we come to church thinking, I want to do ministry, and man, I need, I need to be fed, and I need to be fed now. Or, we're gonna read later on, we're not gonna get to verse 16, but I gotta say this part. Or are we like a bunch of little babies and all we want to do is kick and scream and get our way? This whole section, you can read ahead, not while I'm speaking, is all about, listen, it's all about growing up in Jesus and becoming mature. But I watch families, I watch some families, none in here, of course, but I watch some families where the kids run the show. And frankly, I get embarrassed. I want to go up to the parents and go, seriously? Like, you don't, you don't like tell them, be quiet or behave or do this. You just let them run the show. And that's embarrassing, right? I think most people agree. If you're one of those who let your kids do that, sorry. <laughs> if I stepped on your toes. But I see people do that. But you know what breaks my heart more? When I see churches do that. And they let the children the immature Christians run the show. Shouldn't be, saints. We gotta be equipped. We gotta be people who become mature. So God gave gifts to his church. And in these gifts, he gave these offices. And listen, part of it is, oftentimes these offices are not functioning properly. How does the office of an apostle function properly today? by being people of the word, the same with the prophet, by being people of this thing we call the Bible. But then the evangelists, we need the evangelists to make babies, right, to deliver them. And then we need, listen, then the pastors and teachers are like the pediatricians. And they come along and they make sure they get good vitamins, they make sure they do things correctly, they raise them up, we grow them up, and then we get all mature, and you know what we are? We're the body of Christ. Now, having said all of that, I'll end with this. 
We can never be the body of Christ if we do not gather together. And again, I don't mean to harp on that, but man, God is sitting my heart and places in scripture. You have to come together. You have to be together in order to function. Does your body like spread out? Well, I know some of us it spreads out. We get, we get uptight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, man, does your arm just take off and hey, I'm going over here today or I don't want to do this or I'm staying home. You getting ready to go to work? Does your leg ever go, I'm staying home, forget you. The body of Christ has to come together in order, listen carefully, in order to mature. We'll cover more of that next week. I thought we were gonna get into it this week, but we have to. And you know what? That time when we were apart was draining. It was draining on every part of the body. And saints, don't listen, don't fall into the trap that we don't need each other. We need each other. And we need to assemble together for the equipping so that we can do the ministry that God has called us to do. If we don't do that, we're gonna fall apart. So tonight, we get to do a very special thing. We get to come to the Lord's table. We get to enjoy fellowship with him. And you cannot do that remotely. Well, I guess you can. You can have stuff at home, do it on your own, and hopefully people who are not here are doing that. But I like being with you guys. I just like hanging out with you, and it's always good. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and I I thank you, God, as we get the challenge of your word. And Lord, how you come to this church that, they had to be struggling. They had to be having a hard time. And Lord, you come to them and you kind of, in my mind, you lay it all on the line. Here it is. And so Lord, I pray for us tonight that we would even just, I just pray that a lot of us would stop and think about that song that we sang. Here I am, Lord. I'm available. And sometimes it's easy just to sing words and not engage our mind or our heart. But I pray, Lord, I pray tonight that as we're standing here and as we're coming to your table, that we would be people, if we have been kind of shrinking back from our responsibility as part of the body of Christ, that we would be honest right now with you, especially as we come to your table. And we would ask you to reveal to us, Lord, who we are in Christ, what we are in Christ, and God, how do we go about maturing and growing and edifying the body of Christ? Make that a cry of our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.